Let us pray together. Lord, please break open the Scripture for us this morning through the power of your Spirit. Let your Word that is read, let your Word that is proclaimed pour out its fragrance and allow that to fill this house, Lord, and our lives. And then, Lord, anointed with your Word, may we head out into your world. Allow us to send out all your Word, to share the good news with those all around us. Lord, may your Word just break down barriers open doors. May your word fill us and lead us and guide us. In Christ's name we ask. Amen. Our responsive reading this morning comes from Psalm 126. And it says, depending what translation you use, I was like dreamers. Dreams know no boundaries. Dreams have no constraints. And there is nothing to stop them from going anywhere. They travel on their own. They move. And and they do what they will do. They go to places that we could have never imagined. And, And dreams have us doing things that we could have never imagined doing. So what's it like to be a dreamer? The psalmist tells us, I was like those who dream. Dreams are a journey of the unhindered spirit. What does it look like to close our eyes to the limited world around us and open our eyes to the limitlessness of God? What does it mean to experience the boundless dreams of God, of God? with God, for God. Let us listen to the dream. When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled filled with with laughter, laughter, and we sang for joy. And the the other other nations nations said, what amazing amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes. The Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy! Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. The constant turning of things upside down in biblical narrative is always there. They weep as they plant the seed. They go back with joy as they harvest. The reversal of everything you thought you knew is a constant theme in the biblical narrative. The theme punches its way into the biblical narrative and it creeps its way into everyday life. Rivers in the desert, new life where there wasn't any spring water for a parched and dry land, God becoming human, and bringing living water to a thirsty and dying world. As we come to this week's scripture reading, we find that Jesus has given up his public ministry. He's moved with his disciples closer to the wilderness. The Jewish leaders are looking for him. They want to have him arrested. 
The people are asking questions. Where is he? Will he come? In other words, everyone was on the lookout for him. Some curious, some sinister. But he was the talk of Jerusalem. The chief priests were concerned that soon everyone would believe in him. Caiaphas prophesied that he would bring together all of God's children from everywhere in the world. So to many, he was hope. But to many, he was a wonder. To some, he was a threat. So this week, we have to wonder, why would Jesus leave the wilderness? Why would he take his disciples and travel to Bethany a place just a couple miles from Jerusalem. Why would he take that and go to visit a friend? Why would he go there when everyone is looking for him? There's a lot of traffic as people were getting ready for the Passover. This story occurs before the Passover. But interestingly, if anyone saw Jesus, they didn't say anything. No one arrested him. No one mobbed him. This section that John gives us to look at is an interlude. It's a pause in the busy journey. It's a time for reflection, a time for thinking. Jesus has come to share something with those close to him. These passages this morning tell us of a time when Jesus got off the rigorous road of traveling to the cross to take a breath before he stepped into what was to come. It tells us of a time he took a moment to spend with those he loved. It tells us of a time that the others got a moment with him. What a rare and incredible moment this passage is. We are treated to this writing to a reflection of what is going to happen, but we're allowed to take a breath and savor the moment. It's not the Last Supper, and it is not yet the time that those he loves will desert him. It's not yet the day of his torture and death. It's not those times. But it is an important moment, nonetheless. Let us listen to the words of John. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. 
You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Here ends the gospel lesson. Thanks be to God for his word, and to his name be glory and praise. Amen. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Andrew. I've entitled this week, Taking Time to Smell the Roses. I originally was going to take, <laughs> I actually, my first draft that I sent out said, take time to smell the musk. This is spikenard, the essence of nard. I let Kathy smell it with, through the cap. It's an incredibly powerful smell. I took a dab, I put it under here while I was writing my sermon, and it filled the entire house, a dab. It's strong, it's musky, it's overwhelming, it's amazing, and just a little sickening. It's so powerful. Mary took 12 ounces of this. This is next to nothing. 12 ounces, and, and, and that's what she puts on Jesus' feet. I bring that out because if I open this, it'll fill this room. It'll fill this room in the fragrance. Now, I know we have people that have fragrance issues. I, I'm one of them, so I'm not going to do that. But can you imagine, pick the smell that overwhelms you. What is your least favorite smell? Have that overwhelm you. And put yourself in that place, because this is how the story is taking place. They've had dinner. Mary is wiping Jesus' feet with this incredible perfume. And, and notice the words of this passage. John moves us through the time almost hypnotically. The entire passage only has three speakers. It has a narrator. It has Jesus. And it has Judas. That's the only speakers in here. And yet it seems everybody has a role to play. Now, in order to fulfill John's account of this supper, he has everybody speaking louder with their actions than their words. Everybody has something important in this passage. And they all have something to contribute to this moment of quiet, this moment of interlude. Everybody's significance points toward the single most important theme of this story. No matter who is doing what, it's not about them. And that's something for us to grasp in this story. None of this story has anything to do with us and everything to do with Jesus. Taking time to smell the flowers. The scene is idyllic. John has us at the home of a man that Jesus raised from the dead, Lazarus. And, and Jesus comes to visit his friends, and a supper is made in his honor. The man's sister, Martha, serves, and, and Lazarus joins Jesus and the disciples to eat. And his sister, Mary, anoints Jesus' feet with a very expensive perfume. Idyllic, isn't it? So serene, so wonderful. But of course, there's a fly in the ointment. Judas. Judas says, but this perfume.
who should have been sold. It's worth a year's wages. We could have given the money to the poor. Did he miss the point? Or was it all about him? But here's the thing. There's only two people that speak. And one of them is Judas. And, and Judas leads us back to something incredibly important. Jesus says she readies me for my burial. The story should stop there, shouldn't it? She readies me for my burial. Judas helps us be drawn back to the unsettled fact that Jesus is on his way to meet his death. For us. The few words that are spoken remind us that this moment of friendship will be followed by minutes and hours of betrayal and death. And not just any death, but death on the cross. A criminal's death for the Son of God. For us, the Son of God dies a criminal death. But not for our glory, but for God's. The actions of the people that we find in this passage are remarkable. Lazarus, recently raised from the dead, joins Jesus to eat. He's not an automaton. He doesn't, he wasn't just like walking around like this. He's raised, he's back to health. He sits and eats with Jesus. He's death to life. And Martha, well, Martha quietly serves. And this is the same Martha who just, just a few short scribblings before announced that who Jesus was. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. She knows that. She quietly serves. She has no words to say. And Mary, who's poured 12 ounces of perfume onto Jesus' feet and is wiping him with her hair, has nothing to say. This is the same Mary who just spoke the words before and, and was the object of Jesus' anger and frustration and disappointment. And yet here we find the scene of her preparing him for his burial. Everyone is doing something unique and pointed. And then we're back to the fragrance, aren't we? The fragrance fills the room. And yet, no one says anything. When Jesus says, she prepares me for my burial, there's no conversation. We know that the next passage, if you've read ahead, is the triumphant entry. Joy, singing, Hosanna, praise Hosanna. Right? All, all of this going on, Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. When we find something as remarkable as this short little sentence, and the fragrance filled the whole house, we need to stop. And we need to smell. 
We're not told about the smell of the food, are we? What did they have? Roast lamb with bitter spices and I, I mean some, some of that exotic spicing that they put on lamb. It's credible smell. We're not told about that, are we? We're told about the perfume and it's for Jesus' burial and it fills the entire room. I have to wonder, did they actually hear what he said? Did, he, did anyone hear what Jesus said to Judas? She prepares me for my burial. You will not always have me with you. Were they listening to Judas's reply? Couldn't they hear the words of betrayal? Couldn't they hear the words of condemnation? With the smell filling the room, couldn't they smell death? But no one said anything. No one did anything. Life just went on, as normal. They ate, they drank. But there's nothing normal about this scene, is there? Everybody is doing the exact opposite of what they were just doing the passage before. As I started off to say, everything seems so right. This is a pause, it's an interlude. This moment is given to us by the evangelist to ready ourselves for the rapid series of mind-jarring, spirit-wrenching, and heart-breaking events that are about to occur. Lent is not just a time of giving up chocolate. Lent is preparing ourselves for that moment when our hearts go through that moment where they nail Jesus to the cross, where he walks carrying his cross, where he's beaten beyond recognition. That's what Lent is preparing us for. And this interlude where everything seems so right and normal and amazing and honoring, moments from now will be broken and shattered and bloody and painful. This is the moment for us to stop and smell the flowers. Can you smell that smell that you don't like? Is that in your nostrils right now? Is it filling you? Is it filling the room? The smell of nard is overly overpowering. This, this, here, I'll pass this along to the, just, just smell the cap. Don't, here, I won't make you smell the cap again. Just smell the cap. It's so powerful. It is so powerful. It is so overwhelming. And this is the moment that John wants us to remember. He wants us to remember that in just a few days, death is coming to Jesus. But it's a death that defeats death. It's a death that changes everything we know about the world. It's a death that gives life. And a death that cannot defeat the giver of life, for he rises from the tomb by the power of God, for the glory of God, for all God's children. That is what this interlude reminds us of. Let us pray. Lord, you call us together, and Lord, we remember. You call us together to remember your sacrifice, but also to remember who you are and who you have been to so many. And this morning, Lord, we think about the many times in our lives 
that you have been the one that has lifted and guided us. And Lord, may we have the strength, give us the strength through the power of your spirit to share that with those around us, the good news of you. Because we know this morning, Lord, there are those that could not be here. We know, Lord, that there are those outside of these doors that just long for a word of grace, long for that point of hope, long for the things that you have to give them. We are your people, Lord, yet we are a broken people. We often miss what it is you're calling to give us. And yet, Lord, you remain faithful. You are always with us. You are always caring. Even death could not keep you from us. You returned and you ascended to the Father. And we wait in hope of your return again, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your words that remind us of this moment. We think about the people, we embrace them. And Lord, may all things that are said outside of this house be for your glory and for your honor. And in Christ's name, amen.